welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is the weekly show all about Fulham Football Club. And as you may be able to hear from the rustling of people and the clinking of glasses, we've taken Fulhamish on tour. We are live in the Jolly Gardeners pub in Putney. Uh, thank you for downloading this podcast. Hope you all had a wonderful new year and 2017 is treating you well so far. However, 2017 is not treating Fulham uh, so well. An unfortunate 2-1 defeat against Brighton, uh, which happened a couple of hours ago. So we just watched the game and we're all here in the pub. And then here's three gentlemen that certainly know their way around a pub. Jack Collins, Ben Jarman, Farrell Monk. How are you all doing, gents? Could be better. Yeah. Uh, yeah not too bad considering, actually. Yeah, feeling OK. So it was an interesting festive period. Two and a half games, uh, one victory, <laughs> one defeat, and one abandoned because of the fog or the lack of fog, maybe, as they turned out in the end. So we'll work through that. Um, we're also going to discuss Crexit, my awful portmanteau, uh, at length uh, later in the show as well. So, chaps, let's start with today's game against Brighton. Again, a fantastic performance uh, against the runaway league leaders. But they seem to have something about the dark arts about them, and they get victories when they don't play well. Yeah, well, evidently... Their lack of naivety is something that is has seen them go from last year's you know promotion contenders to this year's you know team to beat almost. And I think that we were exposed today in a five to ten minute period in a game that we otherwise dominated. And what that kind of means is that they know how to grind out victories in an ugly way, in a way that we we just simply don't yet. And I think that it's it's kind of plain for everyone to see that we just need to. Smart enough, almost be a bit more streetwise, and you know it's not the first time we've said this, and I'm pretty sure it won't be the last. But there we are. And Farrell, another missed penalty. If if I'm not mistaken, it's now five missed out of six this season, which is a quite unbelievable rate of penalties. I mean, you might forgive one or two being missed out of a few in a season, but what is the problem at the moment when taking penalties? And it's been loads of different people in the team as well it's not just one person that's been <laughs> responsible and today it was um, our man Steph Joe did it happen I don't no it didn't happen it didn't, no, happen. It didn't happen who's Steph Joe <laughs> um, it's good to see that we can actually win a lot of penalties it's, it's good to see however I, I can't it's just our bad luck at the moment isn't it they're all quality players out there and they can all take a penalty however it just comes down to it it's, it's been pretty poor it's not a case of great save from the keeper a lot of them have been pretty poor penalties you know it, however we can get that means we are getting to the box we are getting a lot of penalties that is good to see but we should be putting them away who's next though who's who's the next one going to be taking a penalty <laughs> i'm putting my hand up yeah i mean i feel like one of us might do better than uh, one in six uh, as a penalty record ben it just yeah. seems to be something that has got into Fulham's psyche at the moment about penalties it's like a mental block yeah it is and Steph Joe's penalty today wasn't great at all like, we were saying all the way all the up to the pub that we thought the ball bounced before it even got to the line and for, for the penalty to be that weak it's 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 not great that's never going to go past the championship keeper and all of our penalties this season have really been below par uh, for professional footballers and even though like the even the players we have in the squad, you expect them all to be able to put away a penalty fairly easily. Um, uh, but yeah, today just wasn't our day. But I think I agree with Farrell. A lot of our play today is very positive. And it has been since uh, Slavisa took over. I was thinking about this to myself in the stand today that 
we're constantly looking to go forward and carry the ball into the opposition's half and we're constantly looking to get out of the opposition whereas we wouldn't do that under previous managers and I like the way Slavisa has given ourselves the self-belief to really attack teams even at the top of the league mm. and there's it was amazing really we've had these two games against Brighton in quite quick succession you could definitely not argue that Fulham haven't been the better team over the 180 minutes but it's Brighton that have come out with six points and that's probably why they almost definitely are going up this season for Fulham it's very much still in the balance where we'll really even reach the playoffs yeah of course and I think that that's that's it isn't it and that's you know we say we say it so much but that's the difference between a side that you know wins leagues or gets promoted and a side that you know comes close but doesn't and you know it's all very well playing wonderful attacking football and stuff if we if we can't put the ball in the back of that but you know I think that we've got to look at the positives you know having said that and I think that there are loads and loads of positives and what I was saying earlier was that maybe we need to look at the, the model that Brighton have done and you know whether we reach the playoffs or not this year if we are going into next year as a championship side then we need to be thinking to look at the model they've created in terms of keeping their core of players and then from there building around it and you look who they've added this you know over the transfer window in the summer and they added uh, Shane Duffy and, and Glenn Murray and Oliver Norwood who are all clearly you know excellent championship players with pedigree and who know how to you know grind out and win games and score goals and, and get those kind of results and I think that's something that maybe we need to look at in this, you know, if it comes to it in the summer of keeping a talented core group together and adding the bits that we need and changing from a team that are pushing for promotion into a team that's clearly just going to, you know, take this league, take it by the scruff of the neck and win it. It's 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 quite funny how, like, when you put, you touched on it absolutely perfectly that uh, Brighton have done what, what, we, what every championship club should be doing every year, that... You know they are a good team. They obviously didn't get through the playoffs last year, but they decided not to change everything. They just added very wisely in uh, in the summer, and that's what we should be doing. Absolutely. If we don't go up this year, what we should do is, you know, recognise that we have been dominating teams very easily this year, and just add those one or two extra players rather than go right. We failed this year. If you want to call it failure and change the whole team. We should not be doing that at all. I think if there's anything that this result gives us, it's the, the wider context to the whole of the squad. Like, my, if today, there's no Chris Martin today. There was no Floyd Aite today uh, due to AFCON. There'll probably be no Cabano, depending on whether he gets called up uh, in the next couple of months as well. And you look at the, the starting 11, and then what's on the bench? We had Edurne on the bench today. Uh, we had Stevie Humphreys who come on. It was a gamble we shouldn't really have taken given that stage in the match. Absolutely. If anything, we're looking to January. We're probably looking to strengthen and get that depth up again because you get the 11, which sort of picks itself, and, and rightly so because we're playing brilliantly. But outside of that, uh, you know, the, the, there's a sort of a severe lack of talent um, or, or lack of uh, player that's going to come in and just take the championship and change a game. We don't really have that at the moment. I think January is where we look to, to add to that rather than subtract or it was so interesting you said um, about Matt Smith point and Stevie Humphreys coming on because that was my next question it seemed like a turning point in the game it seemed like a slightly bizarre decision don't get me wrong Stevie Humphreys looks like an incredible talent um, he scored goals for fun in um, FL2 and 
in the youth teams, the reserve teams. But that was a big game for him to be thrown into today. And I can't help but think I'd much rather Cordy Woodrow, who knows this league. Yes, he's not um, probably the player that we all dream of seeing on the team sheet, but he's scored goals at this level and knows how to play it. Surely an 18-year-old on his second appearance against the league leaders when we were holding a slim 1-0 lead didn't seem logical to me. I don't know what you guys think. I, I've been a massive uh, fan of Slavica's uh, substitutions this year. Like There have been points where the game wasn't going our way or we need to shut it out and he's made some brilliant substitutions and they've either changed the game in our favour favor, or we've ground out a result. But today was, you know, we're all experts after the event, but I've got to say it was a massive mistake to bring on Humphreys for Smith because we were controlling the game. I'm not going to say that it was Humphreys' fault, Slavica's fault that we lost the game, but it's a massive risk to bring on Humphreys in that situation considering we were dominating with him with Smith on the pitch. Obviously, he wasn't winning every header because they had Duffy at the back who was winning it a lot, but he was unsettling them for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I definitely agree there. Before the introduction of Humphreys, our ball retention was much better than it was after his introduction and he sort of looked a little bit as if he was it, it was a stretch too far for him in the introduction into a game this big against an opponent of Brighton in his caliber um, and against Lewis Duncan Duffy who are two very good central defenders for him to try and get any change out of them as a 19 year old in his second appearance is, uh, is going to be a really tough ask and I thought like at that point it was just when Brighton were really starting to up it just before that little period when they scored both of the goals um, and the ball just literally just kept coming back at uh, McDonald and the centre halves and the back four. And it's something we really could have done without. We really could have get it to stuck up to stick up there. And I think introducing Humphreys was the wrong way to do it. If he was going to introduce Humphreys, I would have said it ten minutes later when the game was becoming to be more stretched. If Brighton were getting a bit more frustrated, but at that point with 25, 20, uh, 20, 25 minutes to go, it just wasn't the right time to do it. Because uh, if if a case of what we did end up conceding, then the game would become you know, a little bit more compact and that's just not Humphrey's game. If he's got a bit more energy than Smith in the last 10 minutes, that's when we would have hurt Brighton if they were still losing. But obviously that just, it wasn't the case. We still needed to keep pressing them and keep keep attacking them. Maybe Humphreys would have been the one, the kind of the, you know, an Andy Johnson or a Woodrow who was going to stretch a defence more than a Smith would. I think it's going a bit one further and said he looked almost hopelessly out of his depth. Um, and obviously that's a quite a harsh thing to say about a young player but I don't think I saw Humphreys make an intelligent pass an intelligent touch almost. he couldn't get anywhere near it but it, that's not his fault because no no not at all but I just think it's one of those ones where you look at you know Fulham are looking it's almost looking for a hero and I can see why Slavisa did it you know to put, I mean, if, if he'd gone there and scored the second and it would have gone completely his way he would have had a young kid with his tail up you know, coming off the bench in an important part of the season and a homegrown, you know, talent that the fans were getting behind. That's such a, you know, a, a lethal weapon to have, especially in a home game. But it backfired and now it's backfired. It's almost like I don't necessarily necessarily want to see Humphreys come on again. The, I, only, the only thing I would say against that is maybe he's thinking we're not going to be with, a, you know, a Chris Martin. We'll obviously touch on that a bit later. We might not be with Chris Martin for a, a long time and therefore we need Humphreys to be integrated into the team more and therefore, you know, what happens if Smith gets injured? And obviously with the two players going off to the African Cup of Nations, we're going to have to rely on places like Andrian and, and Humphreys and Idun in the coming months. And this is why January becomes so much more important for us as a club. Because if, if the Martin re resolution 
if there's no resolution, sorry, to the Martin current issue, um, and Smith does get injured, then we are so light up front, it's going to be difficult for us. That's why January is now huge for us. I, I one one big positive for me was. Um, what he did differently against Derby when we didn't have Chris Martin available was actually they played Piaz on the front against Derby and I was pleased that this time round he actually played Smith up front instead because he's now an out striker he knows what he needs to do against Derby although we did dominate Derby we didn't create you know a lot of clear-cut chances and with obviously we didn't today as well but with an out and out striker up front we could actually grind out those those little half chances here and there it was a brilliant goal though by Lucas Piazon uh, the first one lovely take uh, inside the box and my view in H2 was almost perfect for it you knew it was going in as soon as it left Piazon's foot it was just perfectly into the corner past Stockdale who was a little bit flat footed as you and I discussed Ben but brilliant goal yeah I thought he took it really well got out of his his little tiny feet very quickly Slotted in almost Terry Henry esque with the, the inside of his right foot into the corner. I like, I really like the finish despite it being obstructed by a, a pillar in the Johnny Haynes stand. I had to watch it back on the screen, but it's a great finish from the guy. But then, uh, happy uh, for him. you um, will have had a much better view than uh, Jack and I will in the Hammersmith end of the two Brighton goals. Um, so, first of all, was the penalty. And it was Malone that gave it away. I, it was hard for me to I tell. I think it was McDonald. I think. I believe it was McDonald. Yeah. I think um, McDonald gave the ball away. Did you guys um, think it was, it was a penalty? It was Stevie Humphreys that gave the ball away in the middle of the park. Um, and Brighton broke really quickly with Knockart, who turned uh, Tim Ream inside out. Coincidentally, I thought Tim Ream was perfect all game, apart from that one slack decision to let Knockart turn him and get him on the turn. But he then, he, Knockart then drove into the box, and a, com a combination of Ream and Malone took him out. Referee played play on, uh, and it almost seemed like a formality. As soon as I believe it was Glenn Murray picked up the ball and was taken out by Malone, it was um, by um, McDonald. Sorry, it was it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite funny you mentioned the man Knockhart because we sung his praises a few weeks ago against us, and we were saying how how good a player he was. Today he was not on not on it at all. Um, it really showed that when he's not on on it, Brighton are actually a more deflated team, and that was picking up that ball. Uh, for the penalty was probably the only good thing he did that day and that is, that is all credit to our defence especially Ream and um, Malone on, on this near yeah. side who stifled him the whole game and then Knockhart though was quite involved in, uh, heavily involved in the second goal which came straight after they'd scored the penalty Fulham just seemed to fall apart for about yeah. two, three minutes and it's just so frustrating after being so dominant for you know, 95% of the game and then just five minutes of madness cost us and it was Lewis Dung, the man that very nearly joined Fulham, who uh, consigned us to defeat. This is where Jack's point about naivety comes in, right? Yeah, completely. It was... <laughs> Three, just, two, one... Yeah, and you're back in the room. But no, it was one of those where you saw it, it was like it was like it was going to come, we were like, well, they're going to score again, right? Now, my brother said to me, as the penalty got put down, before he even scored, he goes, it's not the penalty that worries me, it's what happens in the 15 minutes afterwards. And I turned around to him afterwards and was like, well, it wasn't 15 minutes, it was more like two. But it was, it was, it was almost like Lewis Dunk had all the time in the world to like maraud through our midfield, which, you know, went missing, as, as, we've, as we've spoken about. And then, you know, it's just our luck for Button to make a, a really quite good save from, from what I could see and it just to fall perfectly for, for Dunk. But that's what happens when your tails are up and you're, you know, all guns blazing all of a sudden and things start to fall for you, the crowd gets behind you and it's... You know, straight away, they're, they're from 1-0 down, they're 2-1 up. And 
I don't think at any point it was ever going to end as a 2-2. I think the only thing that could have come from there was if we'd scored straight away and then put all the pressure back on them, we might have actually won it. But as soon as it was there, it was you know it was one of those where if they could shut up shop and and they were able to do so with not perfect ease but relative ease, I think um, with, with with a lack of. Uh, an informed striker or, or even a hassling striker up front and then we sort of seemed to go a bit to pot and we started playing sort of all sorts of formations I think at one point we went to a 3-6-1 <laughs> which, was, that, which was interesting love that one <laughs> that little um, that tactical substitution to take Odoi into right back and put Fredericks on right wing was actually I thought that worked really well because meant that Solly March and uh, Gaitan Bong were pushed the whole way back and we started to get in down the right hand side a lot towards the end of the, of, of the second half um, Fredericks went really close to scoring twice and we got a succession of corners unfortunately the uh, third one out of the sequence was terrible and we completely wasted it So there was that epic shot from was it Malone at the edge of the area that went way way oh. way way <laughs> I think it's still travelling yeah his, his foot turned into a, a, a pitching wedge but yeah it, was, it wasn't great but I think on the whole it was a really positive performance for Fulham bar 5-10 minutes yeah there was um yeah, I, one thing you picked up on earlier was that what is brilliant to see about this team is even when we are 1-0 up, we are still attacking. We're still marauding them. We're still absolutely hassling them at every point. We're trying to go for that second. We're trying to go for that third. We're trying to go for that fourth. Unfortunately, it didn't go, go our way, but all we ever want to do is attack. There's no sort of resting on our laurels and trying to sort of grind, grind it all out, which is brilliant to see. Uh, Jack actually point, um, pointed out the naivety point that it goes... It's one of those things that kind of goes back to that team we saw in, the, in September, that we get a little bit frustrated and all our players start running out of position. And, and um, um, like we saw Piazon going like suddenly on the right wing instead of the left wing. And it was what led to the second goal, that it came from our attack. It kind of was a cross that came out and McDonald's had gone so far up, which is, you know, no disrespect to him. But, you know, in, the, in respect to the team, that what he was really good at was picking up the second ball. Because he went so far forward, no one had actually tracked up to fill in that position. And that's where that break came from. And that's what is reflective of that team that we kind of saw in September or October, where things weren't going our way and we weren't getting that system correct. In the first hour of the game, it would never happen. We were picking up so many second balls, it was ridiculous. Brighton could not live with that at all. What I guess needs to happen now, though, is I guess almost the excuses kind of have to stop for Fulham okay yes we played well today we got defeated by a team that if they don't get promoted I will be I'll be gobsmacked because I mean the run they're on and with even Newcastle dropping a lot of points I mean surely they're quids in to be champions now if not at least get the second place but if you've seen Fulham's run of games in January February and even into March it's all against sides that we can get wins against. So now, almost, I guess the excuses have to stop a little bit. We've now come out of this tough run of fixtures, and now Fulham needs to start putting together a run of even like six, seven wins. Five, six wins out of the next seven are kind of compulsory, I think. Otherwise, otherwise we can we can kiss goodbye to this playoff dream because the teams around us, you know, although they didn't have necessarily have the best of days today, the teams around us do seem to keep winning. And, and, and it doesn't look like that's going to stop. So if we want to launch this playoff mid, and you know, I don't think it's outside of the realms of our capability, then it needs to it needs to come down to it. So the buck kind of has to stop now, and and that's got to be the end of it. I think what you're saying is kind of summed up by Ryan Fredericks, who tweeted a couple of minutes ago saying. 
devastated with that result. We can't keep dominating games and not picking up three points. But there's still a long way to go. Stay with us. So I suppose it's indicative of the belief they still have in the squad in, in, in that they can they can make this and they can they can maybe make it happen but also that you know they're aware that it's not good enough to dominate a game and, and, and make Brighton look very average at points and still lose that game and I think that you know that's that's the way it comes down to at the end of the day you know points make prizes as the famous saying goes <laughs> they they might have looked quite Paul's average sorry. but one thing that they didn't do was they didn't make any mistakes they kept their shape they knew what everyone was doing but they only conceded chances because we were playing well and they capitalised on everything that we did wrong and I think a top team like a Brighton or Newcastle they don't make mistakes they don't let us they don't let us in for easy goals we're the, we're the team that are that dominate other teams in this league yet it's just those one or two little mistakes here and there that we're going to get punished for and that's what the top teams do and that's what Brighton do that's what Newcastle may do later on in the season that's what even Wolves did against us they capitalised on those one two mistakes that we had and scored a couple of goals four <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, what is maybe a bit more difficult to analyse Fulham at the moment is because the Reading game didn't happen out of all the three games I think that one was almost the most interesting to see where Fulham were yes Brighton was going to be a tough challenge and Ipswich are not on form at the moment and that was a game we should have won but the Reading one was one in the balance and uh, got called off. Jack and I uh, were there, and Jack, I owe you a pint, don't I? You do, um, which was a, a nice, a nice bonus for a quite, a, quite a poor day out, really. So uh, Jack and I met up at half time at the Medeski, and I mean the first half was not far off farcical, was it? No, I mean you couldn't see. You, at points, you genuinely couldn't see anything. So like, I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed that the game got cancelled. I was disappointed that the game cancelled when it did, when it was yeah. just starting to clear up. Like there were points in the second half where it was obscene that there was a football match going on you couldn't see past you know halfway but then as you said at half time uh, the fog kind of cleared up and you thought oh well maybe there's a game going on here so it's, this is why at which point I saw Jack and I said because you seem to have some inside intel that it was getting called off I didn't I just the bloke next to me was like this is going to be called off now <laughs> and, and so uh, I went to I went friend to, of the ref was he <laughs> And it was Don Best. <laughs> and I said, to, I said to you, there's no way it's getting called off. It's getting better now. And then, literally, I think three minutes later, I left you, went outside, and bing bong, ladies and gentlemen, this match has been abandoned. Oh crap! I owe Jack a pint. Yeah, well, I'm glad about that. <laughs> that was, you know, small positives to come out of Reading. And I guess it was really unfortunate because it was such an amazing away turnout from Fulham. And I mean. I can't remember any time in the last few years where Fulham have taken that many to away game, maybe even since Premier League days. No, it was close to close to a three thousand turnout, which is obviously amazing. Um, and it was it was it was, a, it was good. There was good numbers, and it was you know it was it was a lovely sort of evening, I suppose. If, you know that kind of thing that you know Fulham would have won, and you know despite the fact that it was in Reading, and you know you had to go to <laughs> Reading for it, you know it was you know it had all the makings of, of you know quite a nice quite a nice out, you know outing and you know a lot of people being about and all that kind of thing that you know makes makes those you know days out brilliant and it is a terrible away ground though isn't it? Oh, it's, just, God, it's my first time to the Medeski. I mean your pre-match walk is through the B and Q. Right. Who doesn't love a jaunt to B and Q before a football match? <laughs> I actually hate it. Like it's 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 arguably the worst worst placed football ground in the country. It's just. It, it, 
It's as if they've gone out of their way to make everybody's <laughs> life hell so that away turnouts don't go to the Majeski. You would think like, with a lot with a lot of the new stadiums, they have thought about, right, this is in a really terrible, awful area. I mean, they're in terrible towns to start off with, but, like, really out of the way. But they do tend to sort of do, like, park and ride or something. I mean, Reading do have a shuttle bus, but the queue is, like, ridiculously long. There's just not much point actually queuing up for it or anything. Um, I would actually say the worst is Wickham because not only is it a tiny town, but the, the stadium is so far out of the town, it might as well be in Wales, for God's sake. Hills, <laughs> yeah, and there's only one road that goes in or out. Yeah. But I now have the unenviable uh, statistic. Uh, so I did a bit of research on abandoned Fulham games, and there was a book all about Fulham, and some guy has uh, charted all of the uh, abandoned games that ever happened. Did, uh, did Man United nearly score that? Uh, Michael Antonio just, won, uh, just oh, okay. missed the one-on-one, and Man United are just countering now. Uh, with Rashford uh, is best out. Um, so there have been about seven or eight <laughs> abandoned Fulham games in our history. A lot of them came kind of in 1900, 1910. I went to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one in 1950, and then since then, there have only been two. And I've attended both of them. <laughs> really? So I've now attended the Reading one and the Sunderland one, which was called off because of the April blizzard. Uh, that oh, yeah. happened about, about ten years ago. So and we were winning that one, weren't we? We were. My Brian McBride scored after... Nine ten minutes, and we hadn't won away all season, so we lost the rematch as well. We did lose yeah. the rematch, and I think that was the only game that Sunderland won at home all season. They, that was the season they nearly got as few points as Derby uh, in the end. But as we can look back on the half, Jack, uh, it was a fairly dour first half, not much quality, which I think was obviously impacted by um, the attack of the fog. Um, but Fulham were starting to look on top and Ryan Fredericks was giving a beta a few problems, wasn't he? Ryan Fredericks was giving a beta the worst day of his life and I thought that was the last time he came to the cottage and the last time he played football he had a bad day but Fredericks was literally all over him and the only two things I can really sort of make out from the half of Fog was David Button making an unbelievable one-on-one yeah, it was save. Great. A really, really good stop. And Ryan Fredericks giving their, you know, giving a beta help. So, you know... That's sort of it, I suppose. But we, yeah, we were getting on top, and we did, we did seem to control possession, you know, quite well. And K-Mac sort of wandered about controlling things for a while, which was nice to see. And I seemed sort of patrolling the midfield line, uh, which he did again today, actually, which I thought was, was very good at, apart from giving away a penalty. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, we were starting to look like we were starting to turn the screw a little bit towards the end of the half, from what you could see. <laughs> it was, it was genuinely one of those, but. Yeah, I think that it was a kind of, you know, I saw a lot of tweets from Reading fans who were down the other end saying that if they were Fulham fans, they would have been upset that the game had been called off because they were they, they felt that they were under the cosh. So I suppose that speaks for itself as such. So there were a few rumours circulating after the game that Slavisa had actually been calling for the game to get called off. Did which... he turn up with a fog machine? Yeah. <laughs> it was all actually just a whole smoke machine that he'd blown over the entire Berkshire. <laughs> <laughs> But which seemed quite surprising, but I guess maybe he just thought, I haven't got my star I haven't got my striker and I haven't got my centre half. Maybe it would be better if we played Reading on Later another on. night. Yeah, no, I can see that. But I suppose it's you know, you can only play with what's given to you and, and we did. But what really amused me was in the Fulham sent out an email afterwards um, talking about why the game had been cancelled, which featured the quote, Slavisa, it's decision. Stop. <laughs> which, 
I wasn't sure it was a, a direct quote or, a, or some sort of typo. But, yeah, a very, very interesting it, it, way of... I did read his post-match thoughts about it. He kind of went, yeah, it is really unfortunate, but it's cancelled now, and that's that. It's like, cheers, love. Yeah. I, li- I like how pragmatic he is. Yeah, I know. He takes no prisoners, doesn't he? And then the other game of the festive calendar, we don't normally have so many games to talk about, but obviously we didn't do a podcast last week because it was Christmas. Um, but it was against Ipswich at Portman Road. Uh, ben was the man on the scene for that game. None of us made it up because there was no trains to Ipswich, basically. Um, it was a very deserved 2-0 victory, though, at Portman Road. Chris Martins got what seems like his last ever goal for the club, and then Sigurdsson uh, wrapped it up in the second half. Yeah, yeah I thought um, for the first 45 minutes, Ipswich... Um, I think they touched the ball probably a grand title of four times. Um, they got booed off at half time because uh, they were that poor. But I really think Fulham came out of the traps very quickly. We kept position really well, and our interchange of players throughout the first half was absolutely astonishing. Um, we found gaps where gaps really shouldn't be appearing in any professional team, and I think we do that really well at times. But Ipswich, um, much better than we've done in, in, in larger periods of games throughout, throughout the rest of the season. Um, I think Chris Martin's goal was very well deserved. It's a brilliantly executed free kick. Um, if we move on to the second half, Ipswich came out um, and they they done sort of similar to what Brighton done today in the fact that they pushed their full-backs up to sort of contain our wingers and they pushed their wingers up further to almost to create sort of some sort of 4-2-4 formation. Um, and we were really troubled for the first 15 minutes and then we, uh, we took off Sonny Aluko, which prompted a tweet saying, Slavisa, are you drunk? And we replaced him with Sigurdsson, and we went to a back three, and it really worked for us because when we were playing with the wing-backs, we sort of let Ipswich come on to us. And they weren't particularly proficient in, a, in attack, shall we say, because they have uh, the world's first professional footballer that was also a geography teacher on the side, Brett Pittman, playing up front. His little-known nickname of Brett Pittman is Chicken, by the really? way. Yeah, by the by, his, uh, back from his Bournemouth days. <laughs> and then uh, they've got Jonathan Douglas, who looks like his legs no longer work in midfield. Um, so they were they were sort of breaking down in the final third, and we we were countering on them very quickly with uh, likes of uh, Adoy, who was playing right back that day. Um, who, judging by the, the our Twitter feed, was quite annoying because he doesn't do anything simply. Um, uh, and we sort of sat back and let them come at us and let them come at us and then we would break out really easily um, um, and we would basically be on there in their penalty area in sort of two or three, four, five seconds um, and unfortunately Aite missed a load of sitters before Sigurdsson slammed home to uh, wrap up three points. I mean, they were real sitters for someone that was so bang in form as well. I mean, I was shocked. It was, it was, all, it was almost if like he had a bet on it or something, a 1-0. Slavica said a few weeks ago that even when we win, like, 3-4-5-0, he bangs on about how we need to be more clinical. We yeah. might have won 5-0, but we should have won 10-0. And that was that was the perfect point for... I was actually thought Slavica was going to say it again. Why aren't we more clinical? We need to be winning these games like 10-0. Because all it needed was just a lucky Ipswich equaliser, and they'd be right back in it, undeservedly. Well, a bit like what happened in the, in the Ipswich game last season where they scored in the 94th minute we dominated I think that was their only attempt on goal and it yeah. can happen you um, can't blame watched... us for consistency for the past two years yeah. the goal turned when um, how, do, how do I put this like an enemy of Fulham came onto the pitch and David McGoldrick um, <laughs> he's given us a run around a few times um, he came on he completely changed the game for around about 10 minutes before Fulham again they took off a Luko and sort of had an idea of how to deal with McGoldrick and we just sat 
Steph Joe on, on him and shut him down at all points. And Ipswich could have got a, a lucky equaliser, but they never troubled us. I think they only had two or three shots. It didn't really look like game. Fulham came out of second gear. They didn't. They really didn't. They didn't need to because Ipswich were that bad. They couldn't keep hold of the ball. They were very disjointed. One of their right wingers is uh, Tom Lawrence, who's on loan from Leicester, who's the epitome of a championship winger. He's just all tricks and nothing else. Um, it certainly shows yeah. when you actually look back at the highlights on, uh, on I think, uh, the Sky Sports highlights that they were definitely struggling for, for a bit of balance and yeah. be like, right, let's try and show something that Ipswich did that day. And they had that one chance where someone kneed it from like 20 yards and it went completely wide and over. Yeah. Is that all they had? Great. That was literally all they had. Um, I think the best part of the away day is definitely uh, the, the massive turnout we had despite the trains being completely um, not available. Um, and uh, a lot of the singing, the, the Jingle Bells um, song when we went away is brilliant. Um, and yeah, every, everyone there was just having a really great time and it was a great performance and a great match to watch. And the car park's right outside the stadium, so what more do you so want? So it's a, talking about, like we're saying like Reading is the worst away day, Ipswich is a great away day. Literally, literally out, out the car, locked the door, walked over the road and was in the back of the stand already. They've got a car park like right opposite the train station for like three quid or something. You don't get that right. anymore. It's a great stadium to go to. Shout really out to Ipswich. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, Ipswich. Check up Ipswich. Reading, you're not allowed anymore. <laughs> And uh, you speak of Floyd Ite, and I expected him to be in the game today against Brighton, but clearly not, and now he's off to the African Cup of Nations. Uh, I've seen it down here, so Togo's final group game is on January the 24th. Uh, if they reach the final, he's going to be out in Gabon until February the 5th. However, that does seem quite unlikely, as uh, Togo's odds to get out the group, not just to win it, to get out the group, is 20 to 1. I'm putting a fiver on that. Yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> stick a fiver. Ite will probably score a hat-trick in every game. They've got free agent uh, Emmanuel Adebayor playing up front for them still. Uh, and he hasn't been picked up since this summer. So Let's that have sort of, that We've sort got of an gives opening. you an indication of how good they are as a nation. But yeah, they're, they're rank outsiders to go out. Um, so which could mean that Floyd, uh, sorry, yeah, that Floyd will be back maybe for the Burton game, which is on the 31st of January, which is a week after his group game. It was a shame he wasn't in it today. Do you imagine that, obviously we don't know what's going to happen maybe up front, but that uh, Slavisa will stick with Piazon, uh, Kearney and Aluko in that three behind the striker? Yeah, you'd think so. And Georgie Williams, I suppose, came back off loan and we were discussing that a couple of weeks back as to why we brought back another winger when we had so much depth. But that decision does seem to make slightly more sense now that Cabano and Aite are out for a while. But... Yeah, you'd expect to see the same three being put through the motions. It is good to see George Williams back because I do, I do. He's obviously really young, and people have been crying for him to get a game or two. But we have been playing well, and he had that really horrible injury. But he is, he is a good player. Yeah, he was a couple of years ago. He's probably our best player for a little while before he got that um, uh, nasty injury. I don't want to sink any ships, but isn't Piazon only on loan until? January. End yeah. of January, I think. End yeah. of January. But he, that's, there's talk of that being extended already. I think that's, I think if that's going to be If we permanently, okay. I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I can't too. imagine that Chelsea want him back. No, I mean... He says he wants to settle down. They're not exactly struggling, well. are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> we could get him for, a, you know, if we offered them a little bundle deal for Kalas and Piazon, they might take him. Maybe, yeah, the, the, jo- the, maybe the Jolly is... Gardeners can offer him something. <laughs> the yeah. only thing Shouts is Jolly Gardeners, by the five million price tag that Chelsea paid for Thomas Callas. I imagine they're going to want to get some sort of profit on. 
which would suggest that it might put him slightly outside of our price range. And we could make profit on him in the future when he turns into the next round Blickenbauer. No, I, I agree. But, I, <laughs> you know, as, as a point of interest, I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, if they're looking for profit on that five million, you know, he might be a little bit out of there. Um, so it's the elephant in the room. We haven't discussed it yet. Um, it'll be the final thing we talk about today, uh, which is Crexit. Now, I got a tweet earlier saying, I really hope this Crexit thing doesn't catch on. I must admit, uh, it is a slightly ambushed portmanteau, and I do apologise for it. It is the situation that's going on with Chris Martin that broke uh, on Friday. It seems to come through a Sun journalist uh, saying that Chris Martin wants to leave the club and return to Derby County uh, for personal and family reasons. Uh, and then he made himself unavailable for selection against Reading. Now, when the story broke, it was about three or four o'clock. It seems like... A lot of fans didn't believe it was real. And we were talking on our WhatsApp, WhatsApp and you say, oh, I don't believe the sun. But it did all seem a little bit worrying. And then everyone, and then the, and even the Sun journalist himself who broke it, was saying in response to people that had criticised him, saying, well, wait until you see the team sheet, guys, then have a go at me. And then the team sheet did come out. Chris Martin's not in it. Uh, and so the visa um, has had said some comments afterwards which effectively confirm it. But quite a stunning situation just to almost come out of nowhere seeing as Chris Martin's looked fairly happy uh, in a Fulham shirt he's had a couple of ropey games but you know you see some pictures of him celebrating against Ipswich that doesn't look like a man that wants to leave on the next trade back up to Derby I think maybe there's some I think maybe we're getting the harsher end of the stick on this one and by no means is this me trying to defend Chris Martin because I think that not playing against Reading and, and today is absolutely like not on and just I, I have no time for players that go on strike really to be honest but I do think that what may be the cause of this is Chris Martin looking for a permanent deal and I think that one of the things they're saying is that one of the things that was touted was that someone was saying he wants to go back to Derby and either prove his worth and get a contract renewal for the summer or come to Fulham, sign permanently and relocate his family because at the moment he's sort of halfway between worlds and he's travelling up, you know, I imagine, you know, one day a week to go and see his you know, family in Derby and then coming back down and spending the rest of the week at work. And I think what he's saying is, look, at this point, I'm winning from none of these situations because Fulham, if they get promoted, probably aren't going to sign me on a permanent. And Derby, even if I score that much, you know, aren't going to be like, oh, yeah, let's renew your deal. So it's sort of one of those where I think he's probably a bit half and half about what the situation is. That said, I don't think he's dealt with it in anywhere near the right way. And I think the Slavisa has been a bit heavy handed with his comments <laughs> as well. But, you know, I'd just like you to be maybe cleared up. I'd, I'd, I'd argue that maybe the club should just release a statement. It's what such a weird situation that? that no one was expecting it at all in, in uh, prior to it. That the fact that everyone was with the Sun journalist going, what are you talking about, mate? And then it actually happens. I think we've probably got to wait until a lot more comes out from it because it's just all happened all of a sudden. Um, I mean, this is the hard, hardest Crexit of them all. Um, <laughs> certainly not a soft Crexit. Um, it's a black and white. <laughs> yeah. It's a black and white hard Crexit that means Crexit. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, not a red, white and blue one. <laughs> it's just, it was absolutely shocking and we probably got to wait for more information. Like, for it to come, he's, he's an absolute professional. It doesn't make sense for it all to happen. But fair play to, like, Slavita coming out and being as 
you know, pragmatic and absolutely just on the button as much as possible about it all. Well, here's what he said. Um, we are not a train station. You can't come in and out when you want. We need to respect ourselves, and I don't know if he's going to play for Fulham, but he's not going to play for Derby. Which I, I totally respect him for saying that, because they are our rivals, after all. They, if we are going for the players, we're going for promotion, yeah. they're our direct rivals. Do you so think what? it is worth Fulham digging their heels in and keeping Chris Martin, even if it costs us quite a lot of money, yeah. Just even if he doesn't play for Fulham, just so that he doesn't play for Derby? Is that worth potentially over a million pounds. Well, if he decided to come in here on loan for the whole season, stay for the whole season... And then but is it worth Fulham paying that amount of money to effectively just stop a rival getting another striker? That's quite a lot of money to pay just so that Derby don't get another player. Well, it depends. Imagine, how do you feel if we got Derby County in a playoff final and, you know, thinking Chris Martin scored the winner? I think it's massively orchestrated by, firstly, by... Derby County and Steve McLaren he's already come out and said publicly that um, he doesn't understand why Chris Martin was let go by Nigel Pearson and the board previous previous to obviously McLaren's appointment but at the same time I, I wholeheartedly agree with what these two what, what Farrell and Jack have said is that you know that we've got no time for players going on strike and if he wants to be a part of a winning team well he's in one right now um, uh, I fucking love what Jukanovic is coming out and saying I think it's absolutely brilliant that we've got a manager that cares so deeply about the club um, that is being so hard nosed about the situation and actually giving us like a, a, a point of strength and, uh, in, in what is quite a tough issue to, to be I was talking about this to my mate who went to the game of today and we think that there would be no other manager that would come out um, after this such an issue and be like okay he's not going I don't care how much it costs us how much it costs Derby he's not going I feel like we wouldn't have got that with Kit, we wouldn't have got that with McGaff, we may have got it with Roy, but I don't think we would get it with anyone else. And I'm so glad that Jukanovic is giving us this strength and he's making the club bigger, better and stronger um, in more ways than just on the field. And now we're in the January transfer window. I guess the fact he didn't play today against Brighton has to be assumed that he's not going to be playing much more uh, for Fulham. He's certainly not in the immediate future. What does Fulham do in the transfer market? Are there any people that you'd like to see Fulham try and bring in? It's a difficult time to try and bring in a star striker, though, to launch a promotion campaign without spending a lot of money. Steven yeah. Jarrett's a free agent, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we've been pretty adamant in the last couple of podcasts that we need that mid-tier striker, someone that's in between Martin and Matt Smith. Um, I think this is quite similar to this Yaya Torre situation with the agents and the clubs. All we've got to do is reach a resolution quickly and we can get him back playing again, whether that's you know for the financial benefit of Fulham or for the benefit of the wider team. We need a resolution and quickly. Um, I don't know in terms of people I could get in the top of my head right now. Did but see we Alexander need Mitrovic maybe available on loan yeah. from Newcastle? Yeah, I saw that and I thought about Matthew it. Wells is apparently refusing to sign a contract at Huddersfield. I don't know if that's still the case. Mitrovic worked with Ikanovic at Partizan Belgrade. Okay, Just interesting. Just uh, thought, uh, thought. Well. I mean, he is um, a divisive striker. I'd be interested to speak to Newcastle fans. I think Love Him is a bit of a cult hero, but yeah. um, he's very hot-headed. He's certainly got a red card. A couple of red cards. Oh, didn't, he, didn't he get sent off within like 10 minutes of coming on of his debut? And then the Newcastle fans, we love him. He got sent off straight away. <laughs> he's a bit of a uh, Chris Baird figure in that respect. I think that he uh, managed to get... Suspended for almost as many games as he played in his first in his first season at, at Newcastle, but yeah, again, there's no there's no doubt in it. He puts the ball in the back of the net, and even this season with the you know 
with how prolific Dwight Gale has been, you, you still see that when actually Mitrovic has been on the pitch, his minutes to goals ratio is still quite good. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we're in a bit of a limbo situation that if we were lower down, um, we'd probably be better at attracting like a Mitrovic because um, Newcastle wouldn't see us as a rival. I'm not, I'm not trying to big up Fulham to be any close to, to Newcastle at the moment, but Newcastle might think to themselves, if we're on the form that we are and Fulham are on the form that they are, they might come to a stage where we might become rivals. Is Bamford available alone still? Yeah, that looks like it's that looks like it's available and very much possible. Tony Cliff's best few, friend. Yeah, but he's actually really good mates with Ryan Fredericks, isn't he? They're oh, yeah, really, yeah, really yeah, good yeah. friends. And so but is Bamford maybe. the kind of striker we need? He's hardly a like for like for Chris Martin in the style that we play. I would say that uh, it's going to probably cause a lot of controversy, but I think this is the perfect situation to pick up Ross McCormack again because we can actually now we can actually now play him as an out-and-out striker. He's a natural, natural goal scorer. He'll score you 20 goals. He probably might score us 20 goals in the second half of the season, let alone the whole season. And he might not be the right player to play in that front, you know, the three attacking midfielder winger situation. But... He knows the team, he knows He knows the club. Let's get him back. I think it all went downhill when Jack wrote the um, article uh, Musings on McCormack and Martin. That, mind, that article did really, really well, actually, and people liked it. And I think that, I think that there was a point there, and I'm, 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 I'm going to disagree with Farrell here. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to see Ross back. I don't think, that, I don't think it's the right moment or the right kind of attitude for, for, for McCormack to, for, to oh, come back brilliant. into it. Hang on, we've been given feed. <laughs> we've been given free food by the Jolly Gardeners. So, um, Shouts out to the Jolly Gardeners. Shouts out to the Jolly Gardeners. Also, this is a posh selection of food. We've been given, like, the charcuterie board. Nice. <laughs> um, we've got some... Hang on, I'm a bit worried about that olive oil in this... Um, expensive recording equipment. It's all right, I'm out of the way. I'll just keep it over here. I promise I won't eat all of it. <laughs> what a day. Brilliant stuff. Look at that. Um, apologies, Jack. No, that's fair enough. Um, you know, food over everything and all. <laughs> but it's one of those where I think that we've just started to develop into a system where we look like we can completely control teams. And as we've seen today, it was when the ball refused to stick up front that we started to, we started to encounter problems. And I just don't think that McCormack is that man. And I think that while I, you know, I'd love to have McCormack back as the player who sits in, you know, Tom Kearney's role, maybe. But anyone, any Fulham fan telling me that they want Tom Kearney dropped after today's performance is lying to themselves. So I don't know where you put McCormack into that system, and I don't know if he'd fit. And so I think with the the, the fact that Kearney is playing so well with the team sort of built around him as that focal fulcrum, it, it is crucial, and I think that I wouldn't I wouldn't switch Tom Kearney for Ross McCormack now if he paid me. We should wrap things up because we've got some free food here, and yeah. uh, it needs to get eaten sharpish. So, um, Secretary Jack, have we got a title for today's podcast? Oh God, charcuterie boards probably. <laughs> charcuterie boards. <laughs> top I mean, of the, top of the it should probably board. just be called Fulhamish on tour. Fulhamish on tour. Okay, there we go. Festive Fulhamish on tour. No, stop trying to get the word festive into everything. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening today. It's been a bit of a different episode. I've enjoyed it. Whether you at home have enjoyed it, I don't know, but that might have been for the fact that we've been given free food and I've been able to drink my cider all the way through. Let us know. Uh, do let us know. Um, thank you again once again for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week after the Cardiff game. It's a cup game at Cardiff. 
uh, which should be on the telly, so we should all be able to watch it. And none of us are heading down, are we? I don't think so. It's 11 a.m. kickoff in Cardiff, so shouts out to you if you are going down. 11 a.m. on major BBC. Spec. It's on BBC Wales, which BBC Alba. is available uh, on most TVs if you're in England. <laughs> and I'm sure if you're overseas, you will be able to see a stream as well. Uh, if you listen on BBC Alba, you may get to listen to the Welsh commentary. That'd be exciting. Which could be quite Pop interesting tipping. to hear uh, the Welsh commentator's views on Stefan Johansson. I don't know what the Welsh fantasy. is for God, do you? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll find out this weekend. I'm buying my tongue. Um, chaps, cheers for joining me, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks, Sammy. Shout, shout out to the Jolly, Jolly Gardeners. Gardeners. Oh, yeah, shout out to the Jolly Gardeners. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you